Hey everybody, welcome to the Cop House Podcast. I'm Doug and I'm the son. And I'm Ron, I'm the dad. This is a bi-weekly podcast that covers all things policing. We're a father and son combo with over 33 combined years of police experience. Our show will tackle anything and everything you could possibly think of regarding the great policing profession. Nothing's off limits. Welcome to episode number two or two. For those of you who don't speak French, of the Cop House Podcast, we are two generations, one great calling. Think we have a lot of French listeners? Soon. Soon we will. Yeah, we're big marketing to the French. Oh yeah, for sure. We, yeah. Today we have a terrific topic, one that um, is very interesting and you are kind of an expert on. I remember this pretty vaguely. Well, you were pretty young when this went down. Yeah, I would have been a freshman in high school, I believe. Yeah. Um, so what we're going to be talking about today is the I-96 shooter case, which was your case in the city of Wixom. You were the detective sergeant at the time. Yes. Right? Yes. And this would have been October of... 2012. 2012. Okay. 2012. So this, this episode is going to be a lot of you just kind of going through the case. I'm going to you know chime in when I think there's something that people might want expounded on a little bit okay maybe great um i'm all nervous about this i i've i doug i've i've taught on this topic in a formal setting at the fbi national academy mm. uh, i was blessed in that i got to present this case to police command officers and chiefs and sheriffs and captains and majors and kings and queens from, kings and queens. from po policing all over the world at the FBI National Academy. And I've done it as informally as sitting on the couch with friends just talking about this case. And I don't think I've ever done it in under two hours. Well, this is, I think, going to be a brief, as brief as possible overview. We're going to try to keep it under an hour, I right. believe. Yes, for sure. Um, and there's, there's a lot of, I guess you could call it subtopics that come with this. You can talk about right. dealing with multiple jurisdictions. You sure. can talk about ballistics evidence. You can talk about interviewing witnesses and eyewitness testimony and things like that. So um, I, I'm, I'm thinking the way to keep this under an hour is going to be to kind of when we touch on something that that part of it itself mm. could be explained. Mm -hmm. Maybe we don't over explain that. Right. And we stick to kind of a timeline and sure. kind of how the case went. Right. And that's what I was thinking too. You yeah. know, we talked about how to strategize, how to do this. And I, I think this topic is ripe for future shows. Yeah. I would love to have the lab technician or the lab specialist who matched the ballistic evidence that, that ultimately scientifically solved this case. I'd love to have him on the show. We could talk to him for two or three hours mm -hmm. on just ballistics and firearms evidence alone. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of nuances to this case, but I think for today, to keep this under an hour, yeah, it's like you said, it's gotta be a chronology. Yeah. With, and maybe with a couple lessons that were learned. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. I, I remember, so having been a freshman in high school when this happened, the main thing I remember is that I pretty much didn't see you for three weeks. Three weeks. And every once in a while, I'd see something from the news uh, about 
what was going on. Right. I really didn't get to see you for three weeks. I mean, you basically came home to sleep and that was about it. Yeah. I, working between 12 and 16 hour days without a day off. And I'm, I'm not complaining. Uh, I worked with about 150 of some of the greatest people in policing that, mm-hmm. that you'll ever meet. Not only policing, but this was a team effort. Uh, the, the, this was the nonprofit sector. This was the private sector. This was policing. This was the uh, attorneys. I mean, this was such a great team effort. And I worked with some of the, the best people in the criminal justice system you, you can imagine. All right. Well, I, I guess I'll let you kind of start this wherever you want to start it. Sure. This is kind of your story. And I'm okay. just going to kind of, I guess, kind of tee off of some of the things you say. Sounds and maybe, good. hey, let's let's dive into that a little bit. So. Okay, well, it, you've already alluded to what we're going to talk about. Yes. We're going to talk about the I-96 shooter. If you lived in southeast Michigan, or if you lived in the lower peninsula of the great state of Michigan in the fall of 2012, you remember the I-96 shooter, I'm guessing. This person was dubbed the I-96 shooter by the media. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later, why that's kind of a misnomer his title, the I-96 shooter. But this started in the city of Wixom on Tuesday, October 16th of 2012. I'd like to just point out that he does not have any notes about this. This This, is all from memory. (laughs) This is the first time in Cop House podcast history where we don't have a stack of papers. No papers. I, yes, I, I do have this commit. much of this committed to memory. So. I, didn't, I didn't mean to cut you off. That was no. just, I felt that was worth bringing up. Yeah, yeah, nothing, <laughs> no papers to rattle into the microphone today from the stack. So this is all coming from my noodle. So anyway, <laughs> Tuesday, October 16th, uh, this started out in the city of Wixom along a stretch of roadway called uh, Wixom Road. There were several vehicles that were shot at and struck Uh, on this Tuesday evening. I was a brand new detective sergeant at the time. I had just gone into the detective bureau ever after having worked uh, patrol. And we talked about patrol last on the last episode of the uh, cop house podcast. I had just gone into the detective bureau. I got a phone call at home from one of the road officers, patrol officers saying, Hey, we just had a couple cars shot at on Wixom road. Nobody's injured. It's it, it's not really that big of a deal. You probably don't need to come in, Sarge. <laughs> yes, and I remind that I, I remind that man of this every chance I get when he said, "quote It's not really that big of a deal," because it turned into the biggest event I've ever worked on in my life, uh, and perhaps for many uh, of the people involved. I ended up going in because I was a new uh, detective sergeant and I, you know, I wanted to do a good job and wanted to make sure I kept my position. So I went in that evening and did some investigating and come to find out, yes, we did have four vehicles that had sustained damage from shooting along Wixom Road. What the, what the vehicles had in common was they were all traveling north on this street and the, the suspect was traveling south. And we presume he was shooting out of his window at these vehicles, and and he struck a couple tires. He struck a front quarter panel. How did you kind of determine that uh, the shots had been fired from a vehicle traveling opposite, as opposed to maybe a pedestrian or somebody in a house or something like that? Based on where the vehicles were positioned uh, along the roadway. Okay. It, it, it because you'd have one that was shot, and then 
maybe an eighth or a sixteenth of a mile further south on the roadway, another one got shot, and it progressively went. Um, it, it went. This went on for a, a, about two miles along okay. this stretch of Wixom Road. So we were presuming it was somebody uh, in a vehicle. So we did our investigation. We did our, our best to, in the middle of the night to search for cartridge casings or, or the, the the remnants that come out of the the, the brass cartridge casings that come out of uh, most firearms, semi-automatic firearms. We didn't find any that night. We took. I took a lot of photographs interviewed several people, towed a couple vehicles back to our police garage, and I, I stayed for several hours and went home. When and you say you towed vehicles, are those the damaged ones? The damaged vehicles, okay. yes. Yep. So I went home and thought, well, that was, that was an interesting way to start out my time in the detective bureau. Uh, I'll work on it tomorrow, and I'll, I'll get uh, some of the detectives whom I worked with to help me. Went home, came back the next day, and started hearing over the radio that another agency that, that borders us, it's the Oakland County Sheriff's Department, they were being sent out to the home of a woman who reported seeing damage from a firearm to her front driver's side quarter panel, exactly like the ones we had taken the night before. So I went over to this home and I, I responded with the deputy and sure enough, there it was. I, I took photographs, um, searched the area for ballistic evidence with one of the one of the Wixom officers, didn't find any and thought, okay, well, now we're up to five. I thought, this guy had a this guy had a busy night. So we started putting together some information on a possible suspect vehicle and <clears throat> started to proceed in the meantime we had a we had a, a tire that we had pulled off one of the victim vehicles because we heard something rattling rattling around inside of it i took it down to the local tire dealership and watched them pull the tire off the wheel and recovered some ballistic evidence some some remnants of a bullet that was found within that tire mm-hmm. so that was that was now wednesday and i'm still you know, this is a big deal for, for Wixom, for sure. It's a big deal for any agency to have five vehicles shot at within two communities. But nobody was hurt. And so now I'm, you know, I worked a normal day and went home again thinking, okay, well, I'll, we'll work some more on it on Thursday the 18th. Returned to work on Thursday the 18th. Entered into a staff meeting with um, my chief, and I, I, I believe you might have some footage of my chief to play later or no? Oh, I do. Okay, okay, great, great. It's my, one of my favorite parts of this whole thing. Okay, excellent. So <laughs> went into a staff meeting with some of the other bosses uh, and, and my chief, and my cell phone rings. And I, so I get up and I excuse myself from the meeting. And it was one of the, the patrol officers working the street. And he said, and I've known this guy forever, and he said, dude. We're an informal police department, so he, he, he called me as his sergeant. He called me dude, which, yeah. which is cool. I says, what? He goes, we just had six more cars shot at. I said, we did not. What do you want? He goes, I'm not kidding. We had six more cars shot at on Wixom Road. I returned to the staff meeting. I said, hey, we got a problem. We just had six more vehicles shot at on Wixom Road with damage. This is now two days after the initial five cars that's right yeah the initial five and now we're up to a total that we know of a total of 11 so we all respond up to up to the area and sure enough as i'm driving up wixom road there's a car on the shoulder with damage to the front driver's side tire 
there's a little bit further up the road there was a car on the side a truck on the side of the road with a hole in its radiator and and i mean it just it just went on and on and on and now we're we're everyone's thinking this is a major problem we have a serial shooter on the loose Mm -hmm. who's for some reason has selected the city of wixom and wixom road to conduct these shootings uh and those six from that day those were also back to back to back as though he was you know in one in one go he made it he made shots at all those cars yes in, okay. in fact some of the eyewitnesses said they they saw that the the hand come out the window because that one was broad daylight yeah that one was during the that day. one happened yes those on that thursday the 18th they happened at about two fifteen in the afternoon okay so now we, we've got a we've got a major problem. We, we're starting to call people in from the department. We're you know I had a detective up in training. I called him at the training. I said, Hey, you're done with training. Get get back here to the city. We need you all hands on deck. We we've got a major problem here. So we worked well into the night. We worked well into the night. I'm trying to get the photographs organized. I had set up like a mini command post in our conference room. You know we've got we've got tires all over the place i've got photographs i've got re- police reports i'm just trying to get organized because i'm thinking i have no idea where this is going to go is somebody mm-hmm. ultimately going to die or get hurt uh, up to this point no people had been hurt but 11 we're, cars had been hit 11 cars that we're aware of yep so it's about eight o'clock or nine o'clock at night on this thursday october 18th and one of my detectives comes and he peeks his head into the conference room and he said hey we just got notified by the Ingham County Sheriff's Department, which is up in the Lansing area, mm-hmm. if you're not from Michigan. How about how far is that? About just... s- about 60 miles. Okay. 60 miles along a stretch of roadway known as I-96 mm-hmm. uh, in the Lansing area. So he says, this detective, he says, hey, we just got notified that Ingham County Sheriff's Department just had a bunch of vehicles shot at in Ingham County. And I said, oh, my goodness. I said, well, do what you can. Try to get police reports. Try to get someone on the phone that I can talk to. So he, he worked on it and didn't have a lot of luck. We, we probably stayed there till midnight that night. Um, just getting organized, typing reports, processing evidence, trying to get a hold of other agencies. And I notified my, my boss, my chief at the time. And I said, hey, we, we got a major problem. You know, we, we, ha- we now have... 10 vehicles in the city of Wixom that had been shot, plus one in Commerce Township, plus at least six more out in, six or more out in Ingham County. I says, we have a serial shooter here, and, and it's it encompasses a large area. He says, yeah, that is a problem. So we, we worked into the night and went home, tried to get some sleep, and came back the next day, Friday the 19th, to work on this some more. So my, my boss, the, the chief at the time, he, he says, hey, uh, just so you know, I've been called up to the Oakland County Sheriff's Department for a press conference. Uh, some commanders, some command officers from the Michigan State Police, the sheriff, me, uh, some, some representatives from out in the Lansing area, we're all getting together to do this major press conference to address this serial shooter and I said oh great good yeah you know maybe we can get the public's help you know and and Doug you you know we had already talked about how there's so many facets to this case Mm -hmm. the public information piece of this alone 
could be its own episode. The fact that that my chief had to coordinate with the, the public information officer from the Michigan State Police, who I became a very good friend of mine. I'd love to have him on. But we, we could talk about how, how do you deal with the public. And this was in 2012. Mm-hmm. This was really before police departments had a major presence on Facebook or Twitter. or So any public information that was going out was primarily going out. Traditional via, news. Yeah, via yeah. traditional media. The news, the newspapers, the radio. Yeah, the, of course there was Facebook in 2012, but police departments generally weren't using it. Mm-hmm. So... You know, this this is this is this was how many years ago? This was um, eleven years ago. We just weren't doing it. So yep. any public information that was going out was going out via press conferences. So my chief, he gathers himself up. He goes up to the sheriff's department for this Friday press conference with the sheriff and 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 all these other command officers from the involved agencies. And I'm at the station and I'm working with my great detectives and a neighboring community has had committed a detective to come over and help us which was very kind they didn't even have a shooting in their area mm-hmm. but uh, a neighboring agency sent a detective over so so now we're, we're starting to accumulate some more people to work on this well it came time to watch the press conference and we paused what we were doing working on the case and we went into our break room and turned the tv on and we watched the press conference take place and I see the sheriff up there, and I see my chief, and I see all these Michigan State Police commanders, and and they're talking about, you know, this is this is an act of terrorism. This is awful. This is this spans multiple counties. Um, this is a threat to the public, and we are taking this seriously. And the sheriff says we are going to form a multi-jurisdictional task force to catch this person. And I heard that, and as a, as a Wixom police sergeant brand new to the detective bureau in a in a department that had 20 police officers in totality i'm thinking hallelujah (laughs) (laughs) we are forming the bosses are forming a task force the cavalry's coming to help us and honestly if i'm being really frank and honest i'm thinking i can turn this over to someone else because (laughs) i'm not qualified to run this thing you know, and I'm thinking, great, somebody else is coming to take this mess over and we can help, but we're going to, we're going to turn this over. That, that was what I was thinking. So how did that actually go? <laughs> yeah. So the phone rings after the press conference <laughs> and uh, the that transition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My phone rings after the press conference and I see it's my chief and I said, Hey chief, nice press conference. He goes, yeah. You Task saw- force, huh? I, I, yes, yes. I said, he says, did you hear we're, we're going to form a task force? I says, oh, chief, that is great news. Finally, we're, we're going to get some help on this thing, huh? And he goes, yeah. He goes, and guess what? I said, what? <laughs> At this point, I am still absolutely clueless. He says, well, Wixom had the most number of shootings to date. You know, we're up to 10 cars that have been shot at. He said, Wixom is going to be the lead agency, and you, Ron, are going to be the task force commander. <laughs> yeah. And I said, Chief. <clears throat> Hold on. Yeah. Perhaps you've forgotten, but I've never done anything like this before. He said, you'll be fine. I got to go. Click. <laughs> 
and the clicking was him hanging up on me. <laughs> he probably didn't hang up on me, but but he said he did say, "You'll be fine. I gotta go." And with that, the conversation was over. It, Doug, it wasn't a request. <laughs> Doesn't sound like it. No, no. Wixom will be the lead agency. You are the task force commander. I said. Fantastic. So so much for my cavalry. Yeah, so much for the cavalry coming to help. But the cavalry did, in fact, end up coming to help. So <laughs> this is what we're now at Friday afternoon. <clears throat> the chief returns to the police department, and I, I probably reason tried to reason with him some more and say, again, you know that I haven't done something like this. And he probably, again, in his way, said, you'll be fine. He said, "In at about 5 o'clock this evening, there's going you're some some detectives and some investigators from various agencies are going to start showing up here at the police station i need you to start start this task force i need you to greet these people bring them in bring them up to speed give them a briefing and you guys need to start strategizing how we're going to solve this thing and how we're going to apprehend this guy Mm -hmm. i said oh okay no no problem (laughs) (laughs) so at 5 p.m on Friday, October 19th, in our little conference room at the Wixom Police Station, mm-hmm. we had our first I-96 shooter task force meeting that had about 15 people present. There was our, our Wixom people who were there, of course. There was um, there was a representative from the Livingston County Sheriff's Department because they also had a shooting in, on actually on I-96 out in Livingston County. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was representative there from Ingham County. There was several state police people there. Uh, There was Oakland County people there. But we had our very first task force meeting on this Friday, and there was about 15 people present at this meeting. And I sat at the head of the table because that's where task force commanders, I guess, are supposed to sit. Like the father in the Waltons. Yes, that's right, that's right. (laughs) And I said, ladies and gentlemen, I have never done anything like this in my life. I said, if we are going to be successful, we all, I, I, I desperately need your help because not only am I a new detective sergeant, I, I, work, I, I work for a smaller community. I've never mm-hmm. done anything this big before. And this meeting, was this mostly uh, like bosses? No, this was this was investigators. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. No, the the big meeting with the bosses came later. And and that's when I, you know, that's when I nearly got sick to my stomach because I had to brief all the bosses on the following Monday or Tuesday, I can't remember exactly. But no, this this is these are the investigators. Okay. So, so this I, isn't the road guys or the bosses. This is the this is the investigative team here. The okay. investigative team in, in, in that had just started. And Doug, we had some, some talented investigators in the room. I mean, we had we had two or three people from the Michigan State Police who, you know, worked out of the second district, which is Detroit. It's the Detroit area, the mm-hmm. second second district, and you know, they they had worked some pretty high profile stuff. So I mean, there was there was skilled, talented people there, and I I flat out told them, I says, look, I may be the task force commander here, but I. I need everyone's help in this room for us to be successful. I, so yeah, that, that's how it started. So we worked all weekend. We 
you know, we sent a, a composite sketch artist out to a couple witnesses out in the Ingham County area who uh, helped us put together a composite sketch. Uh, we had some vehicle descriptions. We're, we're starting to get this out into the media. We're, we're starting, you know, again, not a lot of police departments on social media. So we're, we're having to rely on the, the local Detroit uh, stations. Um, at one point, CNN picked this up, you know, uh, they, they were already starting to make comparisons between this and the Beltway Sniper. The D.C. Sniper. The D.C. Yep. Beltway Sniper Which incident. I was actually going to bring that up later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the pundits in the media are already starting to make comparisons, even though, thank God, nobody had been killed in our case, uh, unlike mm-hmm. the D.C. Beltway Sniper case. Yeah. But, you know, they're already starting to make comparisons, you know, a highway shooter, highway shooter. And it was probably shortly thereafter that the media dubbed this man the I-96 shooter. There were 23 total vehicles that had been shot, sustaining damage. Not one person had been hit, injured, or killed. Which uh, it, is it amazing. 23 um independent vehicles that had sustained damage it is amazing yes had at this point had all of the vehicles that were going to be hit already been hit yes okay yes this this occurred over a three-day period all of the shooting occurred yes okay october 16 17 and 18 okay we had one later on saturday october 27th also along i-96 where a, a man had been uh, a bullet had entered through his driver's side door and it hit him in the buttocks. And that was the one, correct me if I'm wrong, this is your story, that was the one that they kind of figured out was like a farmer taking a pot shot over a field or something. It wasn't this guy. Well, I don't think it's ever been solved. Okay. I don't think that one's ever been solved. But when ultimately we had the bullet removed from this man's body mm-hmm. and it was compared after after the I-96 shooter was in custody and we had his weapons Mm -hmm. in our police possession after they did the forensic comparison between the bullet that was in his butt and his weapons it was um it was there was no doubt that the the bullet that went into his rear end did not come out of the i-96 shooter's gun so the best we could presume at that time was that this occurred in a rural area along i-96 and that possibly somebody you know, that's always been my speculation. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's ever been solved. It wasn't a Wixom case that somebody might have been sighting in a deer rifle or something uh, and the and, and and a bullet got away from him. Or it could have been a copycat. I, I don't know. It's never been solved. Which that one didn't quite fit the same M.O. as the I-96 shooter, too, right? Because he right. was shooting at oncoming vehicles. That one, I, if I remember right, came pretty much... Uh, perpendicular to the car straight through the door right okay yeah correct yep. okay yep but that what that did and 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 that incident on october 27th with that that man actually getting hit shot in the rear end mm-hmm. what that did was that created complete pandemonium with the public i mm-hmm. mean the public was already justifiably so already on edge that we had a serial shooter on the loose in four counties I mean, almost all of Southeast Michigan, Mm -hmm. Oakland, Livingston, Shiawassee, and Ingham County. So this spread up into mid-Michigan. Shiawassee is pretty far north. Yeah. So the public was already on edge over this. And then several days later on Saturday, October 27th, 
we get a guy who gets actually struck and hit mm-hmm. the the public went crazy and and so did the task force i mean we there 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 had been reward money that had been ponied up um crime stoppers of michigan mid michigan crime stoppers the bureau of alcohol tobacco and firearms and the fbi they had all ponied up some reward money for the arrest and conviction of this guy and i want to say that up to, up to the point where the man had been shot in his rear end the re- reward money was hovering right around i don't know 30 to 50,000. Mm-hmm. when this guy got shot in the rear and we didn't know that it was not the i96 shooter we were assuming it was him mm-hmm. the reward money jumped up to $100,000 wow $100,000 i had a I and had, that that incident where the guy was shot in the rear that was still pre the arrest of the actual 96 yes, shooter. Yeah, okay. he, he was not in custody yet. So, yeah, I, thank you for saying that. That That's a good point. The shootings actually happened. The shootings happened on October 16th, 17th, and 18th. Three weeks later, on November 5th, we took the I-96 shooter into custody. Okay. So there were three weeks. You, you said earlier, when you were a, a kid, mm-hmm. you went for three weeks without seeing me around the house because mm-hmm. I was always at work. That was the three weeks that you alluded to. Between Tuesday, October 16th, and uh, I, I wanna say Monday, November 5th, when we finally got him in custody, uh, I didn't have a day off. I, yeah. was, at, I was at work every day. Yeah. So, yeah. so what kind of went into, so so at, at this point, uh, you know, the task force has been formed, mm-hmm. uh, all of the shootings that he's going to commit have already happened, right. obviously, you and the team don't know that right <clears throat> he's still out there not sure if it's going to happen again what uh kind of what happens next in the investigation to, sure. to bring you to his door right so where where i left off in the chronology you know we jumped to that saturday october 27th but kind of where i where i left off we had had that first task force meeting on that friday the 19th we had done a lot of work over the weekend on Saturday and Sunday of the 20th and the 21st. Well, I was then told that all the bosses for all four counties, including the state police and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, and the FBI, so two federal law enforcement agencies, mm-hmm. were coming to the Wixom Police Station for a briefing on this on Monday what would it be, Monday the 22nd? Mm-hmm. And I was told, again, probably by my chief, <laughs> oh, and by the way, Ron, you're doing the briefing. So, so now, <laughs> I, in addition to, to running this, this task force, I'm now told that I have to give a briefing to all the sheriffs, all the chiefs, all the um, assistant special agents in charge of the FBI and the ATF, to all the Michigan State Police commanders, all these detectives, I have, I have to give a briefing of exactly what we've done up to this point. Well, what what has taken place, what we've done, and what our future steps are going to be. Mm-hmm. We we put a police officer at the door because we we have police commanders coming from whom whom we've never met before, coming from as far away as Lansing. So we ended up putting a police officer at the door, checking IDs to make sure, like a member of the media, not, not that our friends in the media would ever do this, 
spot to make sure a member of the media didn't <laughs> didn't get into the meeting by mistake or intentionally mm -hmm. to make sure maybe that somehow I don't know the suspect didn't make it into the meeting somehow I don't know how he would know about it but basically we had an officer at the door checking IDs to make sure that only people who were authorized to be in this meeting got in and mm -hmm. we so we about I don't know 50 60 command officers from the four county area wow showed up at our at our we actually held it in our council chambers our city council chambers because there was no room in the police station to house all these people mm -hmm. and uh, i conducted a briefing um of of all these people i this was the i-96 shooter event when i when i describe it to people i say it was some of the it, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to my career and perhaps the worst thing that ever happened in my <laughs> career because although I learned so much and it was it had such a great outcome and I met and worked with so many great and talented people for three weeks straight I was a ball of stress mm -hmm. uh, it just un unbelievable stress and tension and it, obviously there was pressure to catch this man but I mentioned this in, in the episode one um, uh, on patrol, but a police sergeant is a first-line supervisor. It, it's one rank above police officer. Mm -hmm. So here I am as a front-line supervisor, one rank above police officer, and I'm briefing captains and majors and deputy chiefs and chiefs and colonels and lieutenant colonels and sheriffs and undersheriffs, and that, and that was stressful. So... So the, uh, after this Monday task force uh, briefing, the ATF and the FBI joined the, the task force and they started um, bringing in some reward money. With the, with the federal agencies comes some, a lot of federal resources, including reward money. So what do you think happened when reward money starts getting involved in into the scenario, Doug? Everybody wants to try their shot at that reward money so no pun intended yeah, yeah no pun intended so what do they do when they want to say hey my brother-in-law looks like the i-96 shooter my next door neighbor drives a vehicle just like what's being described as the i-96 shooter what do you think people will do if they think that they have a chance at 25 30 50 100 thousand dollars start blowing up those phones start blowing up the phones so we partnered with and when i when we first started talking about this i talked about the great partnership between police prosecutors offices nonprofit agencies profit agent uh, not a pro the the the, the for-profit world we partnered with crime stoppers of michigan and we told the public look don't call the wixom police station with your tip don't even call the oakland county sheriff's department with your tip um Call Crime Stoppers of uh, Crime Stoppers of Michigan one hundred Speak Up. So Crime Stoppers of Michigan, a nonprofit corporation, they took at the end of the day they took almost three thousand tips on this. Wow! And back then, with the technology, they were sending them all via fax machine. So our the fax machine still in twenty twelve. Yeah. So the fax machine in twenty twelve was running constantly all night long. I mean, the tips, we'd come in in the morning and there'd be, the, you know, we'd have one of our cadets, or our service aides, pull the tips off and put them in a tray and we'd come in, there'd be, there'd be 
60 new tips sitting in the tray for the detectives and the mm. investigators to work on. I mean, this this was a major deal. So as the task force grew, and because it encompassed such a large geographic area, Oakland County, Livingston County, Shiawassee County, Ingham County, we're talking about uh, about a 60-mile stretch of Interstate 96 or I-96. We had investigators working on this from Lansing PD, uh, the, the state police um, post out in Lansing, East Lansing PD, Michigan State University Police Department, the Ingham County Sheriff's Department. Well, all these people are working out of their home police departments 60 miles down the road. Mm -hmm. It would be a little unreasonable for them to say, hey, thanks for your help on the task force. By the way, you have to come to Wixom every day. Right. You, you got to make that two-hour round trip every day to get your tips and get your briefings. So what ended up happening was we set up what, my best description of it was a detachment site, which means Wixom Police Department, our Wixom Police Station served as the primary command post for this event, but we had a secondary detachment site at the Michigan State University Police Department where all the investigators from that area, they worked out of the MSU Police Department, on the MSU Police Station. So every morning when I would do the briefing for the task force, we would get um, we would put them on speakerphone out there at the MSU police station. And I would, I would give my briefing, and we would have probably 50, 60 people at the MSU police department on speakerphone listening to the briefing. And I would say, okay, for you folks out at the detachment site, anything you need to add? And they would chime in. Mm -hmm. and, and, I mean, this was, this was before Zoom. I yeah. mean, you know, if we, if we were to attempt this now, it, it would be easy. We would use Zoom or Teams or, or some of the one of these platforms, but I mean, back there, back in 2012, we were putting them on speakerphone, mm -hmm. and that's how we were d conducting briefings. So as this grew, as this got bigger, and especially after this man got shot in the rear end on I-96, the 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 tips grew, the 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 law enforcement involvement grew. <clears throat> there there came a time, Doug, when the Wixom Police Station had FBI data analysts in the station 24-7, working round the clock. Because what they were doing was they were taking all these tips and they were entering them into a, a database. And then we had a, a designated area in the police station where the tips were being sorted. And we had uh, FBI and ATF data analysts who were, you know, let's say, John Smith called in and says, hey, I think my brother-in-law is the I-96 shooter. His name is Bob Jones. Well, we would have these data analysts who would be doing, you know, getting, getting data on this tip, uh, current addresses, phone numbers. And then what we were doing is we were sending detectives out two by two, mm -hmm. just chipping away at the tips. So these analysts were basically sorting these tips into something that you can actually send a detective to verify and like okay we already have we have more information than just bob jones we have an address that right. they're basically setting it up so that investigators have an easier time yes following up on it yes and the other okay. thing we did was we put skilled detectives in that tip area to say this is not a good tip okay i, I mean we'll follow up on it all 2960 tips Got Is that the exact number? 2,960. Yes, <laughs> wow. that's the exact number. Got followed up on somehow, but did did a team of two detectives go out on every tip? No. 
which is where the skilled detective came into play. So I know we're kind of starting to run up on time here, and I know yep. we want to try to keep it under an hour, but can mm-hmm. you maybe briefly yep. allude to and maybe talk about what goes into kind of that determination of like what's a good tip we're going to follow up hard on this one or mm-hmm. uh we might just make have this one be a phone call or just kind of toss this one to the side sure someone who says i worked with a guy six years ago at ford motor company who looks like the i-96 shooter i don't know his name <laughs> i don't know where he's at <laughs> i don't even know if he's alive <laughs> That tip gets followed up on, but we're not sending a detective out to follow up on it. Okay. Someone who says, my brother-in-law is a gun nut. Mm-hmm. He, sorry, that, that's a derogatory term. My brother-in-law loves firearms. He has a beef with society. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was bragging about wanting to do something like this. That one might get a little more follow through. Yeah, his vehicle matches the description. Yeah, we're going to send probably four to six detectives out on that one. Okay. So, so it got to a point, Doug, where we were taking so many tips and we were following up on so many tips. It got difficult to manage where all these detectives were. Mm-hmm. So what happened? The Michigan State Police pulled up one day with a motorhome, their mobile command post. Mm-hmm. They parked it out behind the Wixom Police Station. We had to have an electrician come out to 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 hardwire the motorhome into the police station so they weren't running their generator all the time. Mm-hmm. And we created the state police created a dispatch center in the parking lot of the Wixom Police Station in the motorhome for just the detectives so okay. the detectives would come in in the morning not only at wixom but out in this detachment site out in uh msu police department they would get their tips they would grab a, a michigan state police radio they would check in and say uh, this is detective jones and detective smith we are heading to 123 main street in howell to work on tip 1287 We'll let you know when we get there. And then the dispatcher in the motorhome would say, 10-4. Did Oakland County, uh, their dispatch center, did they basically assign a dispatcher to work that spot? No, that was the Michigan State Police. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it was, yeah, a, yeah. It was a state police mobile command post, so they had state police dispatchers working it. Okay, so they, they used an actual radio dispatcher, and I'm guessing a dedicated channel then. Yep, a dedicated tactical channel just for these tips. Okay, all right. Yeah, state police, they can do anything, man. They, yeah. <laughs> they, they throw the tower up and uh, boom, now we've got a dispatch center. So it's crazy. So we are running out of time here, and I haven't even talked about how we found the guy. So I'm going to try and cover <laughs> this as quickly as I can. This, this, Doug, to, to, to If keep, we go over a little bit, it's, it's an interesting enough topic. I think, I think it's, it'll be okay if, we, if we're over a little bit. Okay. To do this properly, I, I think we'll, we'll ultimately at some point mm-hmm. have multiple episodes on this. But, or we can kind of break it down by topic as well that way. This oh. is, I think this is just kind of our overview of it. Yeah. Okay. So we were about two and a half weeks into this. We had detectives working tips, working tips, working tips. I heard one detective at one point say, man, I feel like we're beating our heads against the wall. We're not getting anywhere. Well, that was kind of the, 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 the prevailing thought. We're not getting anywhere. We're, we, are, we are like almost 
20 days into this and we, we are no closer to finding this guy than we were when it started. So one of the detective sergeants, uh, same rank as me, but he was, uh, he was with the Michigan State Police. He was kind of the lead investigator for the state police. He started looking over police reports and he, he kind of honed in on one in particular. Mm-hmm. This woman was the only, she was actually the only I-96 victim. And what I mean by that was she was the only one who had her vehicle shot at on Interstate 96. In Ingham County? Livingston. Livingston County, Livingston okay. Livingston County, in, roughly in the, in, the na- in the area of Howell. Okay. She was the only one on I-96, and yet out of 20, one out of 23 happened on I-96, and yet the media called him the I-96 shooter. So go eh, figure. Well. Go, go figure. <laughs> so this detective sergeant, I'm, you know what, I'm going to say his name because this, this guy to this day is my hero. Uh, he, I won't say he solved the I-96 shooting investigation, but this guy is such a skilled investigator. Uh, at the time, he was Detective Sergeant Jim Smiley with the Michigan State Police. He has now risen up the ranks. I've lost track of him over the years. I, last I knew, he was a lieutenant or a commander, but mm-hmm. skilled guy, great guy. Detective Sergeant Smiley starts looking at the reports, and he's, he's looking at the one from this woman on I-96, and he goes, man, something just doesn't feel right about this. So he called her up on the phone, and he says, hey, can I re-interview you concerning what your initial statement that you gave to the police? And she said, well, you know, I'm, I'm on my way to Florida. I'm getting ready to get on, a, on, on, a, on an airplane. I'm meeting some friends down there. And he goes, as soon as you land, will you, will you please call me? And she goes, yeah, okay, reluctantly. Mm-hmm. So she lands. She calls him. She calls Smiley back. And she says, you know, we're, we're getting ready to go out for the evening. Yeah, actually, we're out for the evening, and we're, we're kind of having a good time here. Can we handle this some other time? And, and Sergeant Smiley goes, no, we need to talk about this right now. Mm-hmm. He spent like two hours on the phone with her, to her credit. To mm-hmm. her credit, she left her friends at this party or whatever she was at, and she talked to Sergeant Smiley on the phone for like two hours. And she provided a lot more information than in the initial report that she made. Now, I'm not being critical of her, and I'm not being critical of the initial police officers who took her initial statement. But somewhere along the way, this information didn't get communicated to the police, uh, to the to the to the police or to the task force. And what was that that new information? Not well, new information, but newly discovered information. New, new to us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it was pretty critical. The information that Smiley got from her over the telephone. Mm-hmm. Smiley's in Michigan. She's in Florida. She said, when she was on I ninety six, she was being tailgated by a man driving a bluish gray. Chevy Malibu, mm-hmm. and she ended up pulling over. Oh, no, I'm sorry. She she was tailgating him. Yeah, she was tailgating him, and she remembered she remembered looking at his license plate and seeing that it had a Michigan State University alumni plate uh, frame mm-hmm. over it. Well, she also was from Michigan State, and she she remembered thinking to herself, "I can't believe this fellow Sparty won't get over for me and let me go by." Mm-hmm. So she went to go pass him, and it was at that time that she heard a gunshot. And she's like, wow, what, what, what was that? So she pulls off the highway, she pulls to a gas station, and sees that in, in the back, in the, the, 
um, driver's side rear door, she's, she's got a bullet hole. And she, so she calls the police and the police come out and take her statement. Well, the more Sergeant Smiley interviewed her, the more information he got. And we could, son, we could do a whole show on good interview questions. Mm -hmm. What to ask, what not to ask, how to frame a question. Don't ask yes or no questions. Ask questions that are... Open-ended. Open-ended, that that lead the person to give a description. Well, Jim Smiley, being a skilled detective, he's asking great questions. Not only did he get an approximate year of the vehicle, he got the make... He got the model, Chevy Malibu. Mm -hmm. He got the color. He got the fact that it had an MSU commemorative plate and it had a Michigan State University commemorative plate frame on it. We now have a vehicle description and a pretty good one. Because up to that point, there was kind of a vehicle description, but it was Uh, real vague. It was... uh, we, We had everything under the sun from a Toyota Camry to a Ford Mustang and everything in between. And the only consistent thing with those descriptions was just kind of like, Dark colored dark, sedan. That's dark, it. Dark sedan was yeah. If there was a common thread running be between, I mean, there's a big difference between a Toyota Camry and a Ford Mustang. I, right. I think yeah. you would agree. And yes. I, I think our our intelligent audience would agree. Mm-hmm. Huge difference there. So the only common thread was that it was somewhat dark in color. It wasn't. It wasn't white or tan or gold. And it wasn't like a minivan or a pickup truck. Right. Okay. Sedan. Yep. So no, so now there's a much better vehicle description. Yeah. So here we are going into the weekend. So if he was taken into he was taken into custody Monday night, November fifth, twenty twelve. Mm-hmm. Well, here we are on Friday, so three days before the I ninety six shooter was taken into custody, and we now have a color, mm-hmm. we now have a make and model, and we have an approximate year. So and that plate uh, oh, specific yeah. that com- is the commemorative st- plate. MSU yeah. plate, yeah, and that's huge because that limits that 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 cut that takes you from like. 100,000 possible vehicles down to, I think uh, I think we got it down to 5,000. So what the task force did with that information was we reached out to the Michigan Secretary of State and we said, get us a, a, a listing of all the Chevy Malibus from this year to this year. We put a range in there that has that MSU commemorative plate. Mm-hmm. Living in Oakland, Livingston, Shiawassee, and Ingham County. Mm-hmm. And I want to say the number was like in was like five thousand. It wasn't a very manageable number. So then we said, well, maybe if we could sort it by color, that might help. And I know we're going to run over on time, but That's I've, fine. I've got to tell this portion of the story because it is a great portion. If you got to so, listen to this in two sittings, yes, it's it's worth it. Okay, so in Michigan currently and back then. Under the Secretary of State, and if you, if we have any out-of-state people in our audience, our Secretary of State might be your Department of Motor Vehicles, DMV. Mm-hmm. Currently and back then, the, Michig- uh, the Secretary of State does not enter vehicle colors into the database. They do not. They do not, much to the chagrin of every cop working in the state of Michigan. Mm-hmm. So... It's one thing Ohio does better than us. Yes, <laughs> one thing. <laughs> the only thing. Stop. I'm kidding. We love the our Ohio people in the audience. I married All one. Two, yes. <laughs> so, so how are we going to break this down by color? We have five thousand now. Yeah, eventually we we can work that number if we get enough cops. We can we can go through any list. It mm-hmm. might take a while, but we'll we'll get through the list. So, 
the task force reached out to the NICB, the National Insurance Crime Bureau. They keep track of colors. Well, they do. And what I didn't, what I know now, but I didn't know then, was the VINs, the vehicle identification numbers. There's 16 characters in a in a modern day vehicle identification number, a VIN, mm-hmm. and one or two of those characters actually goes to color. They actually go to the color of the vehicle or or the paint. The General Motors, we're talking about a Chevy Malibu made mm-hmm. by GM. Mm-hmm. General Motors would have coded two characters of that VIN a certain color, hmm. but we have no way of sorting that. We don't know what we don't know what that is. So the task force now now bear in mind we are now into Friday night or Saturday morning. Not a lot of work gets done in the the for profit or the not for profit world on Saturday and Sunday, mm-hmm. unless you're working a multi jurisdictional task force and and you make them do that work. So <laughs> the task force reaches out to the NICB, the National Insurance Crime Bureau, out of Chicago, mm-hmm. and they say, hey. Who do you got there that can sort VIN numbers by color? Oh, we got a guy. Yeah, yeah, uh, here's his number. Give him a call on Monday. And the task force (laughs) says, no, "No, we're not waiting till Monday. Wake him up. (laughs) Well, kind of. We're now into Saturday evening. Saturday evening, I guess that would be November 3rd, two days before the I-96 shooter was taken into custody. Mm -hmm. We find that the guy who can do this kind of work, this kind of database and technology work, is at a wedding reception in the Chicago area. (laughs) The task force finds out where he's at. (laughs) The task force reaches out to the local police department where this hall or wherever this wedding venue is, is, and they say, go get this guy. He's not under arrest. Right, he right. hasn't done anything wrong, but get this guy. Tell him he's needed. <laughs> they go into this, these cops go into this wedding reception where this guy's out there doing the chicken dance. And, you know, I, I'm making that part up, but they go into this wedding. Point three blood alcohol. Well, I don't, I, I don't know about that, but they go into this, this wedding reception and they say, hey, you're needed on a big major case out of the state of Michigan. And he goes, well, I, I don't work today. It's Saturday night. He goes, they said, you got to come with us. Oh, you work today. You got to come <laughs> with us. You got, you're not under arrest, but you got to come with us. And he goes, well, to do that, I would have to write a program. There was no program to, to sort this. He says, I would have to create the program. And they said, okay, you better get busy. So they get this guy, <laughs> they drive him to his office at the NICB. Doug, it's got to be like 10 or 11 or 12 o'clock at night at this point. And they say, you're needed by the state of Michigan. This is your duty to your country. Get get working. So this poor guy. Hey, poor dude. This poor guy. I, I'd love to meet him someday. I don't even know what his name is. But um, this this poor guy spent all night Saturday night creating this database that would sort VIN numbers by color. So he he creates it. He, he gets our list of roughly 5,000 vehicles. And remember, we're, we're dealing with a list here of a, a range with uh, Chevy Malibus bearing a Michigan State commemorative plate. So he, he and, t- and that list is not yet color sorted. That's all the colors. 
It, it's all of them, yes, okay. because right. Michigan can't sort them. Right. So he takes this list, and he's able to sort them by color based on General Motors specs. So you've got four shades of black, six shades of gray, 15 shades of blue. Mm-hmm. So we, we get the list back at the task force. Thank the man for his service. Go enjoy your the, your wedding reception that's been over for hours. <laughs> we get the list and we start sorting it by color and we get rid of the oranges and the yellows and the whites and the tans and we, we get it down to the blacks, the, the grays, the blues, the, the darker colors. Then we sort it by county. Then we sort it by city. So now we've now gone from a list of about 5,000 down to about 2,000 roughly. I come in Sunday morning, I look at the stacks, and I'm like, wow, impressive work that was done all night long here. I look at the stack, I pick up the stack for Wixom, Mm -hmm. because I'm a Wixom police officer. And about how many of those vehicles were in Wixom? Ballpark. Two. Oh. Two or three. Well, all right. So, so I pick up I, I pick up the Oakland County stack where I work, and then I, I go right to the to the to the Wixom page, and I look at this address on it, and I see that this address is right in the middle of all of our shootings. All of the ones that happened in Wixom. In Wixom, okay. And couple and the the two that happened in uh, Commerce Township, which is the Oakland County Sheriff's Department. Yeah, that borders Wixom there. Right. Yeah. This this address is right smack dab in the middle of all 10 of the Wixom shootings and the two that happened in the sheriff's office jurisdiction. And I I went to Sergeant Smiley and I said, Jim, we got to look at this person. This is, this is right in the middle of the shootings. We ended up calling in some, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be brief about this next part. We called in uh, covert surveillance to watch the house we were able to get our hands on this man's gun he he we sent we sent investigators to the house to interview him Mm -hmm. and he allowed us he consented because we are very clear we're going to safeguard his constitutional rights he consented to allowing us to take his nine millimeter handgun he consented to allowing us to impound his vehicle that the only thing he wouldn't consent to was, hey, would you come back to the station and talk to us? He wouldn't do that. But he allowed us to take his handgun and his car. Hmm. So now we've got a handgun. So we call uh, the Oakland County Sheriff's Office Crime Lab, and we said, hey, I know the crime lab's closed. It's now Monday evening. I know the crime lab is closed, but could you have someone come in and do a rush job for us? (laughs) <laughs> and and much like the poor guy who was trying to enjoy the wedding reception, we called in crime lab specialist Rob Charlton, who I would love to have on this show, because in my opinion, he's one of the heroes of this investigation. I got to watch him testify in yes. this trial. Yes. Yeah. We called in, well, we didn't call him in. His bosses called in Oakland County Sheriff's Office crime lab specialist Rob Charlton. Rob Charlton goes into the lab. He compares the bullets that we recovered to the I-90, to this man's 9 millimeter. It's a perfect match. We had an FBI. Got him. We had, a, we had a, a state police SWAT team on standby, ready to go. Uh, the SWAT team descends on this address uh, at about 10, 1030 
at night on this Monday, November 5th, and thank God takes him into custody with no violence. He, he, in fact, he came out of the house with his hands in the air, met the SWAT team in his front yard, turned around and put his hands behind his back, and mm. he was successfully taken into custody. Wow. So then the work has just begun at this point. We have him in custody, but go ahead. You were going to ask a question. Yeah, so um, when, you know, so you had a point where you were, you know, pretty sure that this was a this was a good lead. This may very well be our guy. So in that interim time between talking to him and getting his gun and um, getting the results that ultimately led to his arrest, were were you keeping surveillance on the house in case he said, "Yeah, here's my here's my gun, here's my car, and now I'm in Guatemala." Yes. Okay. Yeah. The, there was constant from the moment we decided we were going to hone in on this particular Wixom address. There was constant surveillance on the home. Um, and that's the beauty of working with a multi-jurisdictional task force. There, Wixom doesn't have a SWAT team. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Wixom doesn't have a crime lab. Wixom doesn't have uh, the ability to do round-the-clock covert surveillance. But the FBI, the ATF, the state police, the Oakland County Sheriff's Office, they do. And and I th- this, is a, this is a good lesson for anyone in our audience who you know, maybe works for a smaller agency. Do not, please do not let your pride get in the way of calling for help. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wixom is, at the time, Wixom was a 20-person police department. By the time this task force was at its peak number to catch the I-96 shooter, we had 150 people working on this task force. Uh, About, about, 70 or 80 working in the, in out of the Wixom police station and about 70 or 80 working out of the, the attachment site out at the uh, MSU police department. Wow. So, you know, that, that's a force multiplier when you can call, when you can get a crime lab specialist out of bed at night to come in and open up the crime lab. You, you can't do that in a little police department. So do not let your pride get in the way of doing good police work and catching bad guys. Mm-hmm. So we, we have him in custody he wouldn't talk to us. He asked for an attorney. So we, he never was interviewed mm-hmm. by, you know, he was read his Miranda rights because you know, we safeguard everyone's constitutional rights. He yep. wouldn't talk to us. So, so there was never an interview of him. But ultimately, he was prosecuted in two venues. He was prosecuted out of the Oakland County Prosecutor's Office mm-hmm. where he faced charges of um, felony firearms, uh, I believe felonious assault, um, he, he pled guilty that that one never went to trial, but the other one where he, he was prosecuted out of was by the Michigan attorney general's office and they charged him with state level terrorism mm-hmm. and he was prosecuted. He was one of the first successful prosecutions and convictions for state terrorism. Now we're not talking about federal terrorism. The, the FBI didn't prosecute him at the federal level. We're talking about state statute terrorism the Michigan Attorney General's office prosecuted him and we obtained a conviction for terrorism. Can you briefly touch on what the elements of that are? Like what like yeah. what act actually constitutes that state level terrorism? I can't believe I still know this after all these <laughs> years, but yes, I, I can tell you. There are certain elements that need to be proved. One, that the person committed a violent act. Mm-hmm. Two Check. Check. Yes, <laughs> yes. Shooting shooting a gun. At, at a human is a violent act. Yep. 
Two, that this violent act, there was a reasonable expectation that this violent act would have create, caused great bodily harm or death. Shooting at a moving motor vehicle, check. Yeah, check, absolutely. Three, that your behavior and your actions altered a government operation. Well, we had 150 people looking for him. We had constant helicopters in the air. If you had gone to an MSU football game during that three-week period, you would, and you were traveling on I-96, you would have seen about 50 state police cars sitting in the median from Wixom all the way out to Lansing. Mm -hmm. The crime lab. I, I mean, check. He affected a government operation. Mm -hmm. And four, that your actions and your behavior coerced a civilian population. We called people to the witness stand for his terrorism trial. Mm -hmm. we, we called the deputy superintendent for the local school district that said, yeah, for the entire three weeks, we would not let any of the kids play on the playground. We called the University of Michigan athletic director to the stand who said, we wouldn't let the girls cross country team travel on I-96 to one of their meets. We called one, we called the, the youth pastor from our church mm -hmm. who said we we didn't hold our annual fall event in Wixom we moved it to one community over because of the I-96 shooter yeah because I remember so, that that was supposed to be in uh, one of the parks in Wixom yeah they right. moved it to uh yeah so a violent crime that is no that has reason to believe there's great bodily harm or injury of great bodily harm or death coerce a civilian population and alter a government operation he was found guilty Wow. Yeah. Uh, what was, uh, if you know off the top of your head, what uh, kind of sentence did he get? Yeah, he got uh, he got a sentence range of 18 to 32 years. So if he if he behaves in prison, uh, he could be out in 2030. Okay. 2030. Wow. Now, you, our audi Doug, our audience may have noticed that I haven't mentioned his name one time. Yep. Uh, I don't mention uh, defendants' names. I don't mention, quote, bad guy names. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not because I, I hate the person. It's not because I'm bitter towards the person. But I never, ever, ever glorify a suspect or a, or a defendant or somebody who's committed a crime. Mm -hmm. You can look him up. <laughs> Do a Google search on the I-96 shooter. Yeah, you, you'll learn all about him. You'll probably see my name pop up a few times if, yeah. you, if you Google search that. But... I just refer to him as the I-96 shooter. I'm not going to mention his name. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think part of that, at least for me, it, and it's the same with, uh, there, I know there's some media companies that treat like school shooters the same way. Uh, you know, people who commit crimes like that oftentimes are looking for the notoriety and giving them the notoriety almost uh, in, not enables, but inspires copycats people do the same thing well sure. okay this person got all the recognition why don't i do it too so when you remove that notoriety attached to like a name yeah. i think that and i i think that would be an issue that a lot of people would have with national media too is they right. they they want the story so they'll they'll put the name out there whether or not that inspires copycats who also want notoriety so yeah i mean it's a great thing to bring up I was very blessed. Uh, in, in the last several years of my career, I got to be a, a, an active shooter response instructor, mm -hmm. not for the cops, but for, for like Alice, uh, for schools or for businesses, teaching 
the civilian population how to respond to an active shooter. Well, part of that curriculum is to talk about some of these events from Columbine High School mm-hmm. or Virginia Tech University. Well, I know the names of all those shooters, mm-hmm. but I never bring them up. Yeah. I'm not going to give them the notoriety. The notoriety that they want. That they want, right? Yeah. Not out of hatred or bitterness. I'm just not going to do it. So if you want to know who the I-96 shooter is, look them up yourself because you're not going to hear them from me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't be easy to find, though, but yeah, we're not we're not going to name him. Right. Um, I forgot to sneak this in because oh, yes. I was very uh, intently listening to, to you talk. I didn't sneak it in where it may have applied, but right. there was a, mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to talk about it or you want me to. Well, this, this has to do with the public information piece of this case. And again, we could we could peel off and do multiple separate episodes on yeah. this, on the, the lab, ballistics, firearms evidence. Interviewing. Um, interviewing. Yeah. Well, a big piece of this is public information. And how do you get information out to the public? Not only to help you solve it, but to set the public at ease. And I got to tell you, what you're about to play is, is a clip of my poli- my old police chief, uh, who was the chief at the time that this all went down. And I got to tell you, what you're, the clip you're about to hear is pretty inspiring. Um, in fact, when I became the chief several years after him, uh, and we were looking for some bad guys, and I was calling on the public to help, I always kind of kept this clip in the back of my mind. So... <laughs> That's all I'm going to say to set this up. This was him doing an interview with a local media outlet out of the city of Detroit Mm -hmm. talking about the I-96 shooter. So you go ahead and play it. Very short clip. Just a couple seconds here. Here's Wixom Chief Clarence Goodline's message for whoever is doing this. Know that we are coming for you. It's only a matter of time. We're coming for you. We are coming for you. We are coming for you. And three weeks later, we got him. Yeah. And I didn't get him. Nothing spectacular or remarkable about me. The other 149 people that I worked with and I was blessed to work with, they got him. I just happened to be the guy who was forced (laughs) into being the commander so uh all the kudos goes to 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 all those folks who work so hard to get them i got one other question here for uh for you about it um if it was ever determined at all was there ever a reason or a motivation did anything ever come out as to as to why this guy did this well as i already said doug when we went to go interview him he asked for an attorney and we carefully safeguarded his constitutional rights and so the police never interviewed him I can only tell you the words he used on the witness stand at his terrorism trial he his defense attorney got him on the witness stand and and asked him that very question why did you do this and the words he used, this isn't a direct quote, but, but the words he used were approximately, I did this to send a message to the government to back off. I did this to send a message to the government to back off. Hmm. Now, what that means, I, I'm not gonna speculate. Um, I, I don't know if, if that was an attempt to influence the jury. I, I don't know. All I can tell you is that, you know, after he said that, then 
the um, assistant attorney general, um, so the prosecutor, uh, got a chance to cross-examine him and, and asked him a series of questions. This was Greg Townsend. And again, if we're talking about the heroes of the I-96 shooter investigation, there's several. Detective Sergeant Jim Smiley, Crime Lab Specialist Rob Charlton, uh, Assistant Attorney General Greg Townsend. So Greg gets a chance to cross-examine him at the terrorism trial, and Greg asks him, uh, Sir, at some point did you know that there was a large task force that had been formed? And he answered yes, and Greg asked, Did you know that this large task force had been formed to catch you? And he said yes. And Greg said, did you do any other shootings after you know, knew that this task force had been formed to catch you? And he said, no, I did not. And Greg asked, did you not commit any more shootings because you were concerned about being captured by the police? And he said, that's correct. Hmm. So his motivation, you know, we could speculate. Our audience could do some Google searches and perhaps find some media accounts, but I'm, I'm really not going to comment. I can only give you what he said on the witness stand. Sure. Yeah. Wow. I know I know we went over on time a little bit, but I think it's absolutely worth it. That is a very interesting case, and like, like we said earlier, too, this is kind of just a brief overview of the yes. many, many topics that could be gone into based on it. Which I'm sure we'll touch on in the future. The great thing about the Cop House podcast is I don't know if we're ever going to run out of material to talk about. I don't think we will. (laughs) I don't think we will. All right. Doug, you want to talk about where they can find us on social media and on the platforms, I think is the right word. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) So we are the Cop House podcast on Facebook and we are at Cop House podcast on Twitter, X, whatever, and Instagram. And you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, be that Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, or the RSS website. We are recording this on Monday, and it should be published either on or near Thanksgiving Day. And I know a lot of our brothers and sisters out there working police cars and scout cars uh, in uniform are going to be having their Thanksgiving dinner at their police stations. And to them, I say, God bless you. Thank you for your service. And please be careful out there. And happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving and be safe, everybody.